Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 is going to be our focus today, but this is the Christ hymn of Philippians, as it's often called and known. Um, and we've been looking at verses uh, 1 through 11 for the past three weeks, so now we will pick up again and read all the way through verses 1 through 11, and Focus in on verses 9 through 11. So let's read together here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to the interest, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. Being born in human, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Every time I read that, I want to say amen at the end of it. But Paul did not write that in there because he had more to say. <laughs> so we, we want to dive right in this morning and I wanted to talk to you about names. Um, some people live up to their names. Some people live up to their names. I knew a lot of, I had a lot of dear friends in high school, and we used to give each other nicknames because we didn't live up to our actual names. Right? You, you give nicknames. I had a name that I thought was really cool. Uh, when I played basketball, they called me Train. I thought that was cool because uh, Freight Train, yeah. Then I realized they called me that because I breathed really heavy. <laughs> choo choo train. They called me, and then the name wasn't as cool anymore. But I lived up to it, right? So there were a lot of names, and people live up to their names. Some people live up to their names. We we were rather, you don't have to be, just so you don't feel guilty, you don't have to be intentional in naming your kids, but we're weird, and so we were. Um, and so our names all have meanings. All the names of my kids have, have specific meanings that we uh, hope for our children, Um one of the most easy to tell you about is my son. I didn't ask his permission, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, because he's my son and I'm daddy. So, uh, Joshua means the Lord saves. Edward means royal guard. It also happens to be my dad's middle name. Uh, and so, my dad was Thomas Edward Elkins. And, and Joshua Edward, royal guard. And Elkins means uh, and descendant or family of God. Descendant of Yahweh is what we would um, kind of say, which is an incredibly interesting name for a pastor. 
to have as his last name. So uh, Joshua, the his name means the one who guards the gospel, which is Joshua. Joshua is the gospel, the Lord saves. The one who guards the gospel as a descendant of God or part of the family of God. Um, and so we, we hope and we pray every night that our kids will live up to their names. That they will live up to these names that we give them. And we, and we pray that we live up to the names that we are given. And, and names have a specific place in Scripture. You see it constantly, right? There are names that, that are given to people who have old names and who have new names. None more prevalent than Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob comes out of the womb and is called heel grabber or liar or deceiver. And he lives up to that name. And Esau comes out of the womb and he's called red and hairy. That's his name. Now that's a Hebrew uh, Hebrew alliteration for for anger. So he's called angry, and he lives up to that name. He's ruled by his anger, uh, and we see this constantly in Scripture. People needing to live up to a name that they're given, and God changes names. And isn't that great to know that God changes names? So let's dive right into verse 9 here. So we've read about Jesus' humiliation, and we've called ourselves to the fact that we have this mind in ourselves, and we are to behave and live this way as followers of Christ. We are to look and act and be like, like Jesus. And so he, he comes to this verse in verse 9, and he says, Therefore God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So first, because of Jesus' humiliation, this, this word therefore is not a uh, causative, but it's really more, I, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to describe it. We could, the Old English translates it wherefore, um, which is really a, a bit more accurate. It doesn't, it's not, this isn't something that points backwards and says because of this, this happens, but rather this happens, and then this happens to kind of validate that that was happening. Like This is a validation here. Uh, not a because of, but a wherefore, um, or a validation of what is true. It says, because Jesus' is humiliation, or wherefore Jesus was humiliated and willing to be obedient, God exalts him. So exaltation after humility is actually one of the things God does pretty frequently. God pretty frequently exalts those who are humble. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 through 12, Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I, the, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the, this is the reality in the economy of the kingdom of God. That you are exalted when you humble yourself, and you are humbled when you exalt yourself. He also tells this great parable about a wedding feast, and where a man comes into the wedding feast, and he chooses the best spot to sit in. And then the host comes in, and very embarrassingly has to ask him to move down. Could you move down? This isn't your seat. This seat is reserved for somebody of high honor. You move down. And so Jesus says, Select the place of lowest honor, so that if the, if the host desires to exalt you, great, and most likely God will. So he, he tells the Pharisees to select the part of lowest 
honor. So exaltation, but exaltation after humiliation is kind of standard operating procedure for our Lord. It's the way God operates. He doesn't take the strongest. He doesn't pick the greatest. He doesn't pick the most mighty. He picks the one that is lowest on the totem pole. So, Christian, hear that, hear this. If you are weak, if you are infirmed, if you are broken, if you are lacking in some way, you are exactly the type of person God uses to exalt his name. Maybe you're, you're not so quick on the draw, maybe you're not so fast in picking things up. Well, you're exactly the type of person God uses to exalt his name. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not as bold and outspoken as you could be. Well, you're exactly the type of person that God uses to exalt his name because he delights in taking what is weak and feeble and broken and making it great, making it wonderful, making it incredible in his name and in his glory. Jesus, uh, further in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus humbled himself for the joy set before him. This is that joy right here, this verse. God exalting him to the Father. The joy set before Christ was that he would be in the presence of God. That he would be with God, having fulfilled what God has asked him to do. He would be in the presence with God again. Indeed, that is the joy set before him, and that is the joy set before us. We can delight in the Father, because we know that we will be in His presence one day, standing in His kingdom, and delighting in His kingdom. So we see the joy is in the presence of God. To be with God is the joy that awaits every believer that Jesus has secured in His life, death, and resurrection for us. That we would be in the presence of God as it was in the garden, walking in the cool of the garden with the Father. Can you imagine walking in the cool of the garden with God? Can you imagine what that's like? We would be in His presence. We follow Christ, and, and most of us were drawn to Christ because of His humiliation. You realize that that's that's what caught most of us. That's what caught you. You're not caught because he's a mighty father who destroys everything. He is. He's a mighty king and God over all things. But you're not caught because he's sovereign Lord who rules the earth with an iron fist. No, you're, you're caught because he's sovereign Lord who washes feet. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have every right to claim your right. To claim your position. You have every reason to claim it. To claim your rights and your strengths and your own personal possessions. You have every right to claim those things. But the Father here urges us to be like Christ and to surrender all of those things that we would kneel down and wash the feet of the people who are going to kill us. You realize that the story when he's washing Peter's feet and Peter stands up 
and argues with him is not about Peter. It's about Jesus loving Judas. That's why there's that line in there where he makes eye contact with Judas. This is a conversation that Judas is sitting right next to, able to overhear as Jesus is washing feet. And then the very next story is him giving the honored sop to Judas, pleading with him one last time. Jesus knelt down to wash feet. How much more must we? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 urges us and reminds us, we love because he first loved us. We love because He first loved us. We love others because He first loved us. So just in your own mind right this morning, do a little application. Ask the Lord, who do I need to show love to that I have not? Where do I need to change what I have been doing? Ask Him. So Jesus humbles Himself for the joy set before the cross and God or set before him, and, and God highly exalts him. This is hyper-exalt, like exalt above. The only other way to say this is really, really exalted him. Higher than everything else. There's nothing higher than Jesus. Jesus is king of everything now. Everything. He is king of everything. And like, I, like we said at the beginning, it's a wherefore. This is just validation of his kingship. He didn't... It's... He is God. He is king. And as God and king, he proves it. Because he is. So we see here he highly exalts him. And it says this great phrase, God bestows on him the name. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So there's a couple things to realize here in Scripture. One, names give people authority. If you know somebody's name, you have some measure of authority. That's why uh, Jesus, when he's dealing with the demoniac and Mark, he asks them, what's your name? And the guy says, we are legion, for there are many of us. Creepy story, by the way. If you've never read that story, creepy, scary story. Uncomfortable to read. But he says... Uh, we are legion for mere many, and he says, please don't cast us into the abyss. And Jesus says, all right, you can go into the pigs, and the pigs all murder themselves. It's a terrifying story. But Jesus says, what's your name? And they have to answer. Because once he knows, the, or the, the command of their name, knowing their name, meant there was some power and authority over them. When the, the seven sons of Sceva are uh, trying to cast out demons in the book of Acts. Uh, this is the fight. You guys remember this fight that they have? Some of you are looking at me with blank faces, so I'm going to tell you the story. The seven sons of Sceva's were rabbis who, uh, there's seven of them, they're brothers, and they, they were casting out demons in the name of Paul and the name of Jesus. And, and they said, uh, they go up to this one demon-possessed person and they, they go to cast out these demons and they, they they say, in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I cast you out. And the demon says, Jesus we know. We've heard of Paul. You I don't know. And then he, he beats them naked. 
It says he beat the clothes off of them. And they run away. That, you know you lost the fight when you get your clothes beat off you. And so they, they run away. And they're, they're, they're shocked, right? And he, he didn't know their name. And, and they didn't have any authority over him because they couldn't call out the name of Jesus that they actually, they didn't actually know Jesus. So there's this name recognition thing going on. There's this authority in the name when they come before Jesus. And then we see it even in modern times. In the name of so-and-so, they're coming. Oh, this is so-and-so's protege, or this is so-and-so's representative. When you come to a, when you're an ambassador, you come to that country as an ambassador in the name of the United States, which gives you some modicum of authority and power to say and do things. Names give authority to some level. When somebody gives their name, they are both exposed for their position. They are exposed for their position. And they have power according to that name, that position. Name changes, as we mentioned earlier, are common in Scripture. You see Abram becoming Abraham. You see Jacob becoming Israel. You see even in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Revelation, there are two times when we are promised a new name for persevering. A new name. One which is given to you on a stone that you and God know only. And then one that is given verbally as a new name for you. In chapter, that's in Revelation 2, 17 and 3, 12. 3, 12. So you've got these names that are given to people. Name changes in Scripture have value. Jacob goes from ankle grabber which is what Jacob means, ankle grabber, liar, or deceiver, which is, ankle grabber was a euphemism for lying. And so he goes from ankle grabber to wrestles with God. Israel wrestles with God. And God gives him that name, which should tell us something. Just a side note, the name change of Jacob should tell us that God likes people who struggle with him. He likes it when you wrestle with deep things with him. He likes that about you. So his names are changed. Believers get new names from perseverance. Jesus' name never changes. But it's bestowed on him at his exaltation. Isn't that interesting? His name doesn't change, but it's bestowed on him at exaltation. Jesus, the only person in history who lives up to his name. Jesus means the Lord saves. Yahweh saves. It's not the same as Joshua, though Joshua is a derivative of that same word. Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua. It means the same thing, the Lord saves. Jesus' name in, in Hebrew is Yeshua. It means the same thing. Lord says. Another name that means the same thing? Isaiah. Isaiah is the same set of consonants. Isaiah. Hosea. Same set of consonants. Just different vowel markings. The Lord saves. Jesus' specific pronunciation of his name, Yeshua, was a common name at that time period. It was a common name in the first century. Lots of people were walking around with the name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew. 
This is a common name. It's normal. It's kind of like Jesus in Spanish. You meet a lot of people named Jesus. But there's only one Jesus Christ the Lord. There's only one who lives up to the name the Lord saves. Jesus' name doesn't need to be changed because he lives up to what it was in the first place. He's always been the Lord who saves. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Consider, just for a moment, the certainty of his name. He comes down Jesus. He goes up Jesus. He dies Jesus. He's resurrected Jesus. They don't change him. He doesn't change anything. God does not alter the name of Jesus to fit some paradigm. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He had the same authority before. He has the same authority then. He has the same authority now. And he will have the same authority in the future. He is king over all things. He's always been king. He will always be Lord. He is always exalted. And his work on the cross, his humiliation, and then his exaltation and his ascension into the, into the throne room of God, where he sits at the right hand of God, this, this is merely the validation that he lives up to his name. The Lord saves. Oh, if you are listening, and you are struggling, and sin is rampant, Listen, He is the Lord who saves. He is the Lord who grants victory. He is the King over all things. He is the the Master over death. Death has no sway. Sin has no victory. There is no defeating the glorious, exalted King over all things. He says, at the name of Jesus, here in verse 10, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So let's let's start with these two things. Every knee and every tongue, right? He says every knee should bow, every tongue will confess. You've got these two things. You've got the knee, the physical body position, the physical uh, response to God, and you've got the tongue, the verbal response to God. Every knee and every tongue will respond to him. So think about that. Every, every single one of them, every single knee on the earth, under the earth, and above the earth, will bow. Every single one, every self-righteous, self-exalted person will be made low. Every single one will bow. There is no one that this will not cover. There will be no one left standing. There will be no one left denying that he is Lord. There will be no way to get away from the reality that he is Lord of all things. This is a physical and verbal confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, believers made this confession already. You do it with your mouth, and you do it with your hands, with your actions. You have a physical uh, 
a physical manifestation of this confession, and that you obey with your actions. You bow the knee to the Lord God Almighty and the Lord God Almighty alone, submitting to the authorities that He has set above you, trusting in His authority over all others. Bow the knee to Him. And you profess Him openly and publicly. You don't hide it. You speak out when you are called to speak out. You talk about the truth of Jesus Christ and the salvific work He has done in your life and in your heart. You trust in Him, and that is manifested in your voice and in your actions. Remember, the heart determines what the hands do, not the other way around. And the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So you are transformed by Jesus, And that shows both in your physical response and in your verbal response. Remember in Luke when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then again in James when he urges us to be doers of the word, not hearers only in James 1.22. To be doers of the word and not hearers only but to validate what you say and what you claim to believe with your actions. I believe that the church in America has often failed at this. We have spoken a great deal, but we lack the doing. Or we have done a great deal, and we lack the speaking. Both of those are wrong. You must speak and do. Why? Because if your heart is changed, your hands and your mouth change. Your hands and your mouth change. At some point in our history, uh, the American church began to think of holiness as something that was extra, something that you didn't have to do, that it was an extra pursuit. I have to tell you that holiness is not an extra pursuit. It's who you are. You are manifesting the work of Jesus Christ in your heart by living a holy life. Pursuing holiness is simply believing. It's part of the Christian life. Likewise, many, many denominations and congregations and people and individuals have struggled to figure out the connection between the mouth and the hands. And they have spoken boldly, but done nothing with their hands. I tell you, that is equally as wrong. To speak boldly and then live a licentious life is equally wrong. To living a holy life and not speaking at all. You've heard that phrase, um, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. There's a follow-up to that. It's, it's always necessary. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words. What, what that quote, it's often attributed to Francis Schaeffer, but what that quote is trying to enumerate is that you preach the gospel just as much with your hands as you do with your mouth. Yes, I would add, it's always necessary to use words and hands. So we are called to live a holy lifestyle, to live with this name of Jesus over us, confessing that every knee will bow, every tongue, both physically and verbally, we will exalt the name of Jesus. 
And then look at this phrase here. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There is nothing that's not covered. Heaven, earth, and under the earth. That's everything. That's Paul's way here of going, everything gets covered. Every, every little detail. You cannot go far enough down to get away from God. You cannot be exalted so high that you don't have to acknowledge Jesus. You are everywhere in the middle matters to him, evidently. So listen, all of these matter to him. The lowest to the highest matters to him. That his name would be exalted in the lowest common denominator that's under the earth to those that are on the earth. All of it matters even to the most exalted position in the world, matters. Jesus seems to delight in taking that which is all the way down at the bottom and bringing it up to exalt his own name. This is what he does. This is what it means when it says, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he also descended to the lowermost parts of the earth? That means he came for us. He came down to the bottom to the lowest. If you are low, if you are broken, if you are abused, if you are disenfranchised, He came for you. He came for you. His authority extends beyond all realms. The love of God and His justice reign over everything. And everyone will see nothing is left untouched by Jesus. Nothing is left untouched by Jesus. Every knee bows. Every tongue confesses. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every knee bows. You cannot hide from this king. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. So he stands before us, our mighty king, and every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to him. Just consider that. When you see wicked governments, consider that. Every knee will bow. When you see disenfranchised and broken people, everything will bow. When you see wicked people, every knee will bow. We look towards an end that is coming that marks our beginning. We said it again. We look towards an end that is coming that marks our beginning. Remember in Revelation 21, it says, it is finished, and that word finished there is really the word birth. Almost as if God at the end of the book goes, I'm just getting started. He's just getting started. He's just getting started. You cannot hide from our king. He is... Everywhere. So if you are a non-believer somehow hearing this, listen. Jesus Christ is Lord and King over all things. You need to repent and believe in Him for salvation. There is no other way. Bow and repent and believe and confess Him now. Because the day will come when you will bow and believe, but have no room for repentance. And second chances will be over. And you will bow and see him as Lord, and you will suffer wrath. So trust in him now for salvation. 
that you would be rescued from that. Finally, here in verse 11, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is a name. This name, Jesus Christ Lord, is a name here. It's actually written in Greek, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeshua is sandwiched right between Lord and Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Lord Jesus Christ. This is the name he lives up to. That whole thing. The Lord Jesus Christ. To the glory of God the Father. Oh, how great it is to know that he is Savior and Lord. This is the basic confession of Christianity. You want to know if someone's a believer... Is this their confession? Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Is that what's played out in their hearts, in their lives, in their hands and in their mouths? Is that what's played out? Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. If that's what's played out, they're a believer. They're a believer. Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Oh, that we would recognize that the joy set before Jesus is the same joy that's set before us, that God would be glorified and we would be with Him. And we would know Him and delight in Him. If you are a believer, think on this, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, that He is Lord and Savior, that he, he is the King over all things, over all glory. And what did He do for you? What did He do? He came down to the lowest parts of the earth that you would know Him. And He took on your sin and died that you would be free. And then He resurrected to new life and gave you new life as well. If you are a non-believer, repent And believe in Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Father, we love you, and we are grateful for you. We are grateful for what you have done to reveal yourself to us, that we have been able to delight and rejoice in your presence among us. Lord, we pray that as we worship you in spirit and in truth, that you would meet us and remind us of your glorious presence. Father, as the, as the world goes crazy around us, we pray that you would make your name great, make your name known, that people would repent and believe and trust in you. Lord, we love you. We love you.